Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Elizabeth gave birth in May 2020, amid the UK's first national lockdown. It is an incredibly fast labour in which Elizabeth goes from being six centimetres open to birthing her son in under 45 minutes. There is no time for pain relief and the experience is very intense. But it is the hemorrhage that follows that Elizabeth struggles to process. The trauma physically and emotionally follows her into motherhood and when her baby is 16 weeks, she has developed such severe anxiety that going about her daily life is a struggle. In this episode, Elizabeth bravely shares her experience of suffering from postpartum anxiety and a road back to feeling like herself again. Nairi Wright, midwife and founder of Sage Fam, is with us in the studio to answer any questions. My name is Caroline Johansson, and you're listening to the podcast To Become a Mother. Hi, Elizabeth. Welcome. Hello. Thank you. And welcome, Nairi. Hello. Hi. And Elizabeth, you are a mom to a two-year-old boy. I am. And it's his birth that we'll hear about today. Yeah. So to start with, I was wondering where you were in your life in 2019 when you found out that you were pregnant. I was married in the September 18 with a view to get pregnant six months after we returned from the Caribbean because of Zika virus or whatever. We were <laughs> we were quite strict with all of that. So I was at work, had been in the same job for eight years at that point, really happy, really settled. We were moving, but everyone does mm. the big things all at once, don't mm. they? So yeah, I looked on the calendar and thought, well, if I wanted a sort of end of spring, early summer baby and thought, well, if we don't do it soon, we'll have to wait another year for an early spring <laughs> summer baby. So um, that's what we did. And it, luckily it happened first time and yeah, it just seemed to be going really well and we were all happy. We kept it to ourselves until 12 weeks and then we had an early scan so that we could tell people on our, like family, on our moving day because that's the only way we could ever get oh, everyone yeah. together at the same time, yeah. without it being too obvious. Yes, it was all really exciting and lovely. Yeah, it sounds like it just went precisely to plan. Yes. And how pregnant are you when the UK enters its first lockdown? 
So that was the 16th of March. No, 16th of March, pregnant women were classed as vulnerable. And it was the following week. So he was due in the May, so nearly seven months. And how did you feel about the lockdown? Were you worried specifically for being pregnant? No, I didn't think it would go on so long. Mm. And at the time, especially working with children, keeping everything calm, we thought it would be a case of just keeping, keep washing your hands, mm. you know, keep clean, it'll, it'll go. Mm. So at that stage, no. And actually I was probably thinking, oh, some extra time off. Yeah. Because my bosses <laughs> were very kind and said, don't come in tomorrow until we sort this out and mm. see what's going on. And I never went back in until after I'd had him. Yeah. <laughs> and how were you feeling otherwise in your pregnancy? Were you feeling well physically? I was until, I'm going to say nine weeks. And suddenly the daily, all day long sickness hit me. I was rarely actually sick, but the nausea mm. was just, it ruined me really. Yeah. Um. I just thought, this is just meant to be a, you're sick and first thing in the morning and then you get on mm. with your day. And it wasn't like that at all. Mm. No. And with so much going on, it really, really put a pressure on us as a couple. And also trying to keep that quiet and pretending you're feeling fine was tough. Mm. Yeah. So once it was out, out in the open, it did ease, yeah. me- mentally it eased. It's the worst, isn't it, when those first weeks the first trimester when you're feeling often the worst mm. it's a time where you can't really well yeah. sometimes you won't speak openly about it and, yeah yeah um, having to pretend can be yeah very difficult yeah and I remember thinking when I feel better I am going to tell the world how awful this is yeah. <laughs> everyone should be prepared for just how awful I felt you just yeah you just can't believe it and you think you've got it worse and yet obviously I wasn't even I mean, I occasionally, but I wasn't actually being sick like some women are mm. laid up in hospital for weeks. Yeah. So I just thought I had to suck it up and get on with it. But yeah, it was hard. Mm. And how did your your scans go? Really well. Yeah. Um, Dan was still allowed with me at that point. I did have to have an extra growth one towards the end because I was measuring big, but mm. that didn't worry me because... I wasn't going to have a little six pounder. So mm-hmm. I was nine pounds, 11 and a half. So I, and Dan was eight, eight, I think. So you I wasn't worried. Yeah. Yeah. And did you um, do anything in particular to prepare for your birth? Did you have any particular expectations too about how it was going to be? No. As a person, I was quite prepared for all the pain relief available. I was happy with the cesarean if that's what was going to be needed. I was quite chilled with that. I was going to say, take it as it comes. Mm. I liked the idea of hypnobirthing. I didn't put too much effort into researching it. I just mm. picked up hints and tips along the way. But yeah, it was... It's take it see, as it comes. Yeah, it's going to see what happens. Yeah. And when did you start to feel some twinges and know and starting to, to know that things were potentially happening so I woke up on the morning of the 13th of May 
with the tiniest, tiniest bit of spotting and just thought, hmm, I've not done that entire way through pregnancy. I know some people do, Mm. but I hadn't. So it just got my mind ticking. I didn't feel any different. And Dan just said, ring the birth centre, which is five minutes away. And then when they said, have you noticed any reduced movements? I said, hmm, I'm not sure. And they said, just go into hospital and get checked out. So they examined me and said, yeah, it's, um, there's a trickle of something. We can't tell you what it is really. If, it's, if, if nothing's happened in the next, I think it was 48 hours, you'll need to come in and be induced. So a trickle of water? They literally said, we don't really know what it is. I assumed waters because I mm. knew that they could. And I thought, well, what else is it going to be? Mm. So, no, what do you think? I think that's a fair question. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's either going to be amniotic fluid or um, in some cases it can be the mucus plug can actually look quite clear. It doesn't always have streaks of blood in it. Right. But those are really the only two things it could have been. So I think they needed to be a bit clearer in their explanation to you. Right. And if they're talking about inducing you in 48 hours, I suspect that they were thinking that your waters may have broken. It may have been what we call a hind water leak, where water from behind the baby can drip out. But usually they do a speculum examination to have a look. Did they do that for you? Possibly. Okay. It's basically a little bit like a smear test. Yeah. Put a speculum in and then with a good light source, they try and see if they can see any amniotic fluid. They might ask you to cough, but perhaps they didn't do that. No, I don't. It was was pretty quick. And the 48-hour time limit before the induction, is that to reduce the risk of an infection? Yes, it's a little bit unclear because different hospitals have different policies. And usually if they suspect that waters are broken, they will aim to induce within 24 hours. So perhaps they were thinking, as we don't know 100% whether it's waters breaking or not, we'll ask um, Elizabeth to come back in and then we'll do some more monitoring and then make a decision. So perhaps it was a bit more like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We didn't have that chance because by the time I got home at, say, 2pm, I couldn't finish my lunch. I couldn't empty the dishwasher. I was slowly getting more and more pain. Mm. But it was still just like bad period pain, Mm -hmm. but just deeper. So I just carried on, watched some TV, just tried to get comfy, really. Mm. And how long time did that carry on for? Um, We started timing the contractions on an app at probably about 4pm and it got to half past 10 and I said, I'm fed up with this now, I want some pain relief. So Mm. I said, let's head into hospital. Mm. And how far apart were your contractions at that point? So they were only ever about... 30 seconds to two minutes apart, but they weren't very long. Mm -hmm. So when we called, say, at, I don't know, half a seven-ish, they said, oh, no, stay where you are. They're not lasting long enough. And then once they were lasting more than a minute, they said, head in and after that. So Mm -hmm. that's what we did. What should you be looking for, Nairi, when you're timing your contractions? And when do you get to that point when you should go in? It's always a good idea to get somebody else to time your contractions and use an app because if you're the person in labour, 
the concentration involved makes you produce adrenaline and that can actually slow labour down. So it's better to get a partner to do it quite discreetly so that you're not even thinking about it. But you are looking for contractions that last 50 to 60 seconds. And ideally, if it's your first baby, you want to think about staying at home if everything else is okay until they are three minutes apart from the beginning of one to the beginning of the next one. But you also have to take into consideration, like, you know, how comfortable am I? What time of day is it in terms of traffic? If you know, for example, that it's five o'clock in the morning, you might be better off heading in when they are four minutes apart than waiting and for that magic three minutes and mm. then hitting rush hour. So there are a lot of variables, but generally speaking, three minutes from the beginning of one to the next. Yeah. Yeah, that was... They were already closer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you decide to head in. Yeah. I think in my head, I thought as soon as I get there, I'll be sorted. All we need to do is get there. Mm. And Dan had to wait in the car park because of COVID. And they did you know? Me. Sorry, did you know at that point what the policy would be in terms of COVID? Yeah, you had to be four centimeters before okay. your birth partner was allowed in. Oh, yeah. That was probably in hindsight, a lot to do with why I stayed at home for so long mm. because we didn't want to turn up and not be very far along at all and yeah. and have him waiting around or being alone really. Mm. But I was six centimetres so I, and they gave me some gas and air and they said you can come straight to this labour room and he came five minutes later mm-hmm. um, and came and met me. How were you feeling at that point? Were you in a lot of pain? I was fine until I walked into that room. Mm. It was then that I was, I lost it a bit. I was like, I really need some pain relief. And they still, they just still felt a bit chatty and I was not in the mood. Mm. Um, and it is all a bit of a blur from there. But mm. I remember saying, well, they, of course, they always say, oh, the anaesthetist has gone down to surgery. I said, well, what's the other thing I can have? Mm. Pethidine. Right. Well, you can't actually have that because, well, we don't know if you can have that yet because your waters are bulging on your cervix. So we don't know how dilated you actually are. It could be showing more than it is. I said, well, burst them then, burst them then. Mm. Okay. If you're sure, blah, blah, blah. So they did. And the relief of that was amazing because he was just so stuck. Just, There'd been movement for so long and then suddenly he was stuck right, I don't know what it was, but something was in my ribs and that just moved him down straight away. Mm. From there, apparently, so having read through my notes afterwards, from that stage, generally for a first baby, I was told it takes about four hours and George was 45 minutes. So it all kicked off from Very that intervention, yeah. And how was that? I can imagine that it's a little bit like losing control when things happen so quickly. Is that how you, how it felt? Or I didn't know that it was meant to be going slower than this. Mm. But yeah, I, I just handed myself over mm-hmm. thinking that they knew what to do and that I would just be fine if I could just have some pain relief. Mm. <laughs> but there wasn't time other than gas and air. So I don't, thinking about it, I don't know why I didn't get the pethidine after that. When labour is progressing quickly, 
you don't want to give anybody pethidine because it crosses the placenta. And if a baby oh, yeah. is born within four hours of pethidine being given or any other similar opiate, it can make um, a baby quite sleepy and slow to breathe at birth. It can also have an impact on early breastfeeding. So they try to avoid it. And actually, if the anaesthetist was busy, they were quite limited in the options that they could give you because your labour was progressing quickly. And gas and air never seems enough to somebody at the time. But, you know, it probably took some of the edge off. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I do agree with that. And it also controlled your breathing mm. which does I know it's only a side part of that but it's mm. it was good mm. yeah to have control mm-hmm. after four say five pushes I think again it's slightly blurry there was mention of the cord around his neck twice there was a sudden panic in Dan's voice in that I really had to get him out whether he picked up on something I don't know but I, mm. my eyes were shut the whole time which is another reason why I find it hard to recall it all because mm. I was just so inside myself I guess yeah. um but her felt that panic and really pushed and he was out and that's what I, I thought it was all done from there they passed I think they he came out blue they undid the cord around the neck but he they passed him straight to me there was no drama there just the normal sort of first time mum is he meant to be that colour yeah he'll warm up in a minute and Mm. he didn't cry which Mm. again you always wait for the cry and he didn't cry for what felt like forever but he was he did eventually but it was not that scream that you know Mm. you see on tv Mm. it was just oh hi okay (laughs) (laughs) and it was all very chilled I just laid there for a while and the cord around the neck situation you often hear that babies have the cord around their neck how worried should you be Um, most of the time not worried at all because cords are quite long and every baby will have the cord wrapped around a bit of them and if it's a long cord it can be wrapped around the baby's arm around the baby's waist and wrapped around the the neck as long as it's not tightly wrapped around the neck it shouldn't actually impact on the baby very much because the cord itself, or rather the blood vessels in the cord, is quite well protected by a thick jelly-like substance, which makes the cord a bit like bungee rope. Mm -hmm. It makes it quite stretchy. And so usually, as a baby is being born, we're able to just loop the cord over the baby's neck. Um, If it's quite tightly around, it usually impacts quite early on in labour. So every time there's a contraction the baby's heartbeat might dip down. And in some cases, particularly with a first labour, which can take a long time, that can distress a baby. And occasionally those babies have to be delivered by caesarean. But um, generally speaking, cords are not a huge problem. It's just something that people associate because it's said in films, it's Mm. (laughs) dramatised quite a lot. But actually, if you say to a midwife... The cord is round the baby's neck. He or she's not going to be worried by that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's reassuring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's probably worth saying that the vast majority of babies are not pink at birth and an awful lot look blue, particularly around the face. As a health professional, we worry more about babies that look very white and we also worry about babies that are floppy 
but a kind of bluish-tinged baby with good tone is actually something that we expect to see. And although George didn't cry straight away, if his tone was good and he wasn't floppy like a sort of rag doll, they were absolutely right just to, to wait. And he, he certainly did start to cry afterwards, didn't he? Mm. So you have little George on top of you? Yes. So we latch him on to feed. He's quite happy there. Um, someone asks me to go to the toilet. I'm not quite aware of timings now, but we had a nice time. We, we got him dressed eventually and then standing up and going to the toilet. They asked me to do a wee in a cardboard box thing and it was more blood than urine. Mm. And they passed me a pad and they said, put that on, see how long it takes to fill up. I got into back into bed and all I knew was that you do bleed after birth, that you wear giant nappies for a few days. But I said, I suddenly said to Dan, I don't think it's meant to be pooling around me and on the plastic bed, it was just everywhere. So he called someone in from there. I don't remember being spoken to. I was just listening from where I was someone asking if they needed the red box. Some Suddenly there was six people in the room, Dan next to me, looking fearful, mm-hmm. holding George. My legs go into stirrups, I think, and this giant of a man doctor is pressing on my tummy and with his hands up inside trying to get... Um, well, I'd, at the time I didn't know what he was doing, Um, but hindsight is that he was trying to get blood clots out of the way. Mm. Um, and it was the worst pain ever Mm. because I still haven't had any pain relief at this point. Um, I think my notes said it lasted for hour and 45 minutes. Yeah, it was just unbelievable because I didn't know what was going on Mm. and Dan didn't know and you can't call anyone of your family because no one's allowed in. Mm. Not that they would have come in that moment, but yeah, we just felt like we didn't know what was going to happen. Mm. I knew that George was fine. At one point I said, you're going to have to look after him. And still there's all this drama going around and I'm just saying to this doctor, thank you, mm. thinking that he was... I don't I don't really th- think I was feeling like I was going to die. Mm. There was almost like a cross... I was sort of... I was here thinking, are we going to, how much longer is this going to go on for? Am I going to have to consider that option? Mm. But I wasn't. I was still in the moment. I was still relatively calm despite the agony. Then another midwife just sort of comes up near me and just looks at me and I said, "Am I? you know, am I, what's going on? Am I okay? He said, yeah, you'll be fine. He's just sorting you out. But I didn't know what was happening. Mm. I didn't know that it was quite common. And yeah, it's just stressful and Mm. Not good. Mm. Is this quite common, Nairi? It's relatively common, but to every woman it happens to, it's terrifying. And somebody should really have been telling you or your partner what was going on. Um, It doesn't have to be somebody who's very busy doing something to help you, but somebody such as a student midwife who isn't needed elsewhere can come and, and hold your hand and say, 
this is what's happening. And if you understand, it can help you deal with it. So that would have been helpful. Um, but it's more likely that you bleed heavily when you've had a, a fairly rapid birth. And although the first bit of your labour up until six centimetres sounds very standard, it is unusual to go from six centimetres to baby out in 45 minutes for a first baby. And so I think you're I think we've spoken in, in other episodes about how the, the uterus feels like it's done its job if it's had to work very hard in a short space of time. And I think that your uterus probably was not contracting down. Also, you mentioned blood clots. If there are blood clots left in the uterus, then it can actually stop all of the individual muscle fibres contracting to stem the bleeding. So whilst what he was doing was absolute agony, and I have no doubt about that, it was necessary. Mm. And it's it's such a shame that there wasn't time to sort out pain relief. Mm. Yes. W were you offered gas and air while this was going on? Yes. But towards the end, I was getting a bit lightheaded and feeling sick mm -hmm. and, yeah. Um, but I, I trusted them all and I was grateful to them all. But yeah, I just... Like you say, I could have just had someone just saying, just knowing it was relatively common or just knowing something about it mm. would have been good. In the next few days when you were looking back on that episode, I assume you still didn't really know what had happened. So I was born at quarter to one in the morning. We get moved to, I can't remember the name of it, the ward afterwards eventually at about three in the afternoon. The postnatal the ward. The postnatal, postnatal ward, yeah. And that night I wake up saying to Dan what just happened there do I need to be fearful that that's going to happen again um and basically he said we'll speak to a doctor first thing and they came around it wasn't the same doctor but they went through what happened and said that it's unlikely but there's a chance you could hemorrhage again in the next two weeks so I was just living on edge really mm. wait, waiting for the two weeks to be up mm. only out I didn't feel like it was going to happen, but the fear of it happening mm. was there, yeah. How long did you stay in hospital for? We actually asked to stay for another night, again, out of wanting some reassurance and support, I suppose. Because mm. also so if, when you went home, was the UK still in lockdown? Yes. That time? Yeah, yeah. total lockdown, yeah. Mm. So 16th of May we came home and he was born the early, early morning of the 14th. Mm. Um a lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. How were those first few days? Strained. Um... He wasn't feeding as I, suddenly everything was focused on him feeding. And I can't say that I knew something wasn't right, but it wasn't going how I thought it should have been going. But any support over the phone. So I called when he had brick dust in his nappy and they had said that babies can produce that to just flush out the system because finding... No, You're shaking I your know. head now. Right? Only because I don't know what brick dust is, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I know what brick dust is, but yeah. I haven't heard it in, in this context. Um, urates? Oh, yes. Those are like crystals in the urine and yeah. they are fairly common in the first five days, but it, it's helpful to know what they are and it, it looks like a kind of rust colour or yeah. sometimes a little bit like blood in the nappy. Uh. They're common in the first five days, but if they continue, they can be associated with dehydration. Yeah. So he was latching on and hanging out really well. On the five-day heel prick test where we took him to the birth centre around the corner, they said, latch looks really good. I asked for someone to have a look. I said, no, latch looks really good. But he has lost 11% of his birth weight. That alone, I wasn't worried about because mm. he could afford to do that because he was £8.11.5. Mm. But still, mm. they said... They actually picked up on when he when they took his vest off that when he breathed in, there was a bit of a dip in his chest. So they said, 11%, the cutoff's 10, but that will be fine. But we would like you, if you don't mind, to take him round to the paediatric ward for them to have a look at his chest breathing. I start crying. It's nothing, it's nothing to worry about. Don't cry. Just take him round. So I do, and they're quite happy with it. But they also do a blood test. I'm trying to think why they did that. May have been to see if his oxygen levels were fine in oh, view right. of his, they call it recession when the baby's That's chest it. dips in with breathing. Okay. So they might have just wanted to make sure that um, his breathing was working fine. Right. So they said, no news is good news. That afternoon we get a call, can we bring him back into hospital? We're not happy with his electrolytes. Okay. Okay. We don't know what that is, mm. but anyway head back in. We just wait around for a blood test. In the meantime, I've been topping him up with formula when he dropped to that 11% of his weight, which I agonised over and I really didn't want to do. However, in that space of time, he was now, his blood, so when we went back into the hospital, all it was actually for was to retest and to just 
check him over. That blood test came back all fine. And numerous doctors and nurses who I spoke to said, you've just got a very healthy, happy little boy there. Mm. But I was desperate to keep hearing that. Mm. And so they said, you're free, you know, you can go home. And I said, well, we're in now. Can we stay the night just to... So he was just hooked up to oxygen monitor, I guess, all night. Mm. And woke up the next day and got discharged that morning instead and went home. So we actually only went back into hospital for a blood test. But that was pretty hard going because Dan wasn't allowed in with that Mm. one. You must have been really worried. Yeah. It's Mm. just not how it was meant to be. And you can probably tell from my prior planning that I am normally okay with every eventuality. This wasn't on my radar. Mm. So it completely knocked me off my feet. Yeah. Yeah, I can understand that. Must have been really hard and being on your own. Yeah, that was a big part of it. Mm. Yeah. How did the feeling go when you then got home? Did it resolve itself or? Uh, No. So the doctors at that stay were helpful and they said you will be you can wean him off of the formula and keep feeding him yourself. The weekly weigh-ins just weren't, you know, it was maybe gaining 20 grams in one week and although it was a gain, Mm. it just wasn't working. Mm. And we spoke to a lactation consultant. She suggested going on Domperidone to increase my milk supply. Tube, not tube feeding, where you are expressing every two hours. Mm. We had his tongue tie snipped. I tried everything. I don't know why, because I don't know why I was so intent on it, because various midwife appointments, when they asked what my plans were, I said, well, I'll give it a go. I know that's ideal, um, but I won't kill myself over it. It's not, Mm. you know, it's not the end of the world. So yeah, but once he was here, something took over and that is I needed to feed my baby myself Mm. and I couldn't do it. And that's when I realised enough's enough. At 16 weeks, I said, enough's enough. Stop messing about with medication. He's doing perfectly well on formula. And he just, I just did a comfort feed Mm. of an evening before bed. There was something there, but express nothing bar a few ounces came from expressing. He had what I could give him and the rest was formula. Why do you think it became so important to you? I really don't know. Because I really wish it wasn't. Mm. I just think it was just human nature that I wanted to feed him. Because that's what we were were made to do. Mm. But actually, I won't ever know. But I just went through a huge change. Like giving birth, having a new baby and a huge trauma of the hemorrhage and the time in hospital, how was I expecting my body to function normally? Mm. I don't know. I just wanted it to be perfect, I guess, and there no such thing. Mm. But it's it was a life lesson, yeah. that's for sure. I think it's not at all surprising that breastfeeding didn't go well, given that all of the things that had happened to you, because... When women have a big hemorrhage, that affects milk production. But anxiety and stress and trauma 
also affect breastfeeding, absolutely. And I think on top of that, there was all of the anxiety and the worrying things in society because of COVID. And it meant that you couldn't have the kind of face-to-face breastfeeding support Mm. that was needed. You couldn't have somebody coming to your house, sitting beside you, watching to see if the latch was okay on an ongoing basis. And if your only point of information is, you know, social media, you're probably going to find the people where breastfeeding is going brilliantly. And Mm. it's quite difficult to, to get the support that you need. So I think that you had so many factors working Mm. against you and you clearly did everything that you could to make it work. And, you know, I would hope that if uh, you ever think about breastfeeding again, you can see that it really could be quite different. That's interesting. Yeah. I I think even if I'd have had someone face to face, just to say what you've just said, that look, I may not have listened, but for some, a professional who I trusted and respected to say, look, this might be really hard for you because of X, Y, Z. Or just someone to go, it's okay to do what's best for you when baby will still be more than happy and healthy. Absolutely. You can see that George is very healthy and he's had formula. You know, I think, um, unfortunately, people sometimes view it as a sort of poison but it clearly isn't because many, many babies are very healthy. Mm. And so, you know, it's such a shame that you were made to feel that it was almost a duty that you had to make him survive by breastfeeding. Mm. I also think Mm. when you have a lot of expectations on yourself already, you don't need more external pressure put on you. You almost need someone to give you permission if it's really, really hard to say it's it's actually okay. I don't even know how I, my gut says, don't even bother if I were to have another one. Don't put yourself through it. And yet I probably would give it a go because that's what you do when you first have one. Mm. (laughs) Just, just try it out. But at least I would know this time the warning signs. Yeah. And you said um, at 16 weeks, you then went over to formula and you gave him a discomfort feed in the evening. At that time, how did you feel otherwise in yourself? Had things, did you feel you'd started to get back to your, not your old self, but feeling a bit more normal after that transition or or how were things? No, it completely went the other way, actually. And I read something on a Don Peridone support group of someone saying, has anyone come off it and suddenly started feeling really anxious? And I just had this wash of doom. What have I done? Why have I put myself, my family, George, through this? And from the day after, so I sort of ignored those feelings, carried on with my day, sort of breezed past them. The next morning, I mean, George was a good sleeper, but 7am I rang my mum and I said, I don't know how I'm going to get through the day. She said, what do you mean? You're doing fine. You're doing really well. No, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. I had to literally lay out five minutes, five minute sections of my day of what's what's going to happen next. How do I do the next part? I don't know why, but suddenly everything just felt impossible. The pressure was just on me, from me. Yeah, and I didn't know how to cope. How, How would you describe that feeling that you had? 
when I said to my mum, I said, you know, when you think someone's stolen your handbag or you can't find it, that instant rush in your stomach, it's like that. But for from the minute I wake up, that fight or flight instinct, I guess, I was just so on edge with no, it was so hard to work out why, because there was no, oh, well, what are you worried about? What are you on edge about? Nothing. There's no cause. Mm. I just have this feeling. Mm. The same as if you felt sick, that it was just such a physical, yeah, uh, just awful. It's almost worse when you don't know what is causing it because you cannot address it. Yes. Mm. Yeah, that was the hardest bit. I wanted there to be a reason. Mm. So then I spoke to my doctor or a doctor. I don't really have a particular doctor, Mm. whoever's free on the phone to speak at that time. They they still are, but at the time they were only doing telephone calls. And the first one said, have you tried going for a walk? And I said, I can't get out of the door, Mm. let alone go for a walk. Like I'm not at that stage. And I just found it so flippant that that was obviously their first port of call. And Mm. yet you weren't, they weren't listening to what I was saying. Mm. And the next doctor suggested was generalized anxiety and I just thought no I still knew myself and how I should be feeling and I just thought no that's not right and a third doctor said I think you need some CBT and some especially over the the birth and the breastfeeding Mm. and what you see is a failure and possibly also some antidepressants so that in itself although I needed I know I knew I needed to do them to take them I had a fear of doing that as well but I did that first day my friend had warned me about it she had recently got gone on them she's had a baby three months prior she said just take the first week if you can have like steady if you can have someone around you it'll really help and I would say within two weeks things had started to lift And don't get me wrong, two weeks was a long time to still feel like that, but it was slowly, yeah, Mm. turning positive. And yeah, I was booking to do things and seeing friends and enjoying life as well with a baby. And I was thinking, this is how it was meant to be. Mm. I still had a fear that I'd messed things up and that we hadn't bonded as much as we could have done. And again, the pressure was there as a new mum. Was that a guilt that you were having at the time like thoughts that you were having at the time or did they come I think afterwards when you were feeling better no they were still at the time I think I was just so on edge about everything I was questioning every possible thing that could go wrong at this stage and mm. do I love him enough and I I can't believe I ever felt like that mm. but if I met other people either family or friends or just people in the street oh isn't he wonderful and I'd think yes I just wasn't I just wasn't feeling right Mm. um but when you're in it it's so scary because you think you'll never come out of it Mm. and I just thought I'd made a mistake that it wasn't gonna it that I wasn't gonna be the mother I thought I was gonna be and that it wasn't the right thing for me and it's just unbelievable to say that as as me me saying that but that is how I felt and it's just shocking Mm. and yet once you admit it and start talking 
so many other people have felt the same. And yeah, you just when you keep it all in, mm. it's going to come out somehow. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. I think I know there are so many women who've gone through the same thing, felt the same way. So you're definitely not alone. In terms of um, your relationship with your husband during that time, were you able to speak to him about both what you were going through with the breastfeeding and also, you know, how the birth had impacted you? Did he, was he able to understand and were you able to have a dialogue around that? He understood the birth. He couldn't get the breastfeeding thing. And I don't think I expected him to. Mm. But even that in itself meant we didn't talk about it much because I just gave up trying to explain how I felt about it. It caused a lot of tension. I wasn't being me. Mm. So he was not only a new dad, but also had effectively lost his wife for a little bit. Mm. We got on with our new life. But I wouldn't say we got on along with each other. I didn't have headspace to worry about that, mm. which I feel awful for. But luckily we had a lovely distraction. And yeah, he, we got there. Mm. We got there. Yeah. And when did the CBT sessions and the, so you mentioned the, um, the medication, what are they called again? The uh, uh, antidepressant. The antidepressant. They started to work after two weeks. Yeah. And then you had the CBT sessions as well. Like, when did you start feeling back to your old self? It was very gradual. I think I had a little moment in a supermarket where I thought, oh, this isn't the hardest thing ever anymore. Mm. With or without George. I was happy to leave him with Dan or family. But lockdown meant we just never needed to really do that. So, yeah, I just sort of slowly started noticing that I was enjoying things mm. but the fact that I was noticing them was still odd like, yeah because overall it was still hard going yeah but slowly I could feel things were getting better and the fog lifted as they say mm. yeah but not for a long time really not overall but it's a hard one to mm. describe mm. and I think it works differently for everyone as well mm. I know some people have to wait months for it to kick in and then that must be awful because then you start toying with the thought of well maybe it's not the right one for me do I need to go down a different route and yeah but the doctors were very good at keeping in touch and reassessing and were you getting support from your health visitor as well no once he was on formula there was no real interest once they knew he was being yeah and I stopped bothering making contact because they only wanted to know about him is how I felt mm. Yeah. It's a shame. I knew that they were there and I had the number, but no, it was all about babies. And I guess if you feel like that, and if that's made clear, it's not like you're going to reach out. Exactly. And I have such a supportive family that I didn't feel the need. He was thriving. Mm. And unfortunately, that's how I think I treated myself as well. Putting him first and actually happy mum. Happy baby. Happy baby. Yeah. yeah. Just learned that the hard way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, but thank you very much for sharing the story. No problem. I hope it's helpful to even one person. I remember thinking, if I can just tell one person or one woman, 
that it's going to be okay eventually, then I'll, that's what I wanted to do. I think there will be many women who will find this extremely helpful and will be able to relate to what you told us. So thank you so much for sharing it so honestly and openly. Yes, thank you. No problem. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.